Thank you very much, Andrew, for your welcome. And thank you, David, and the team for the opportunity to share with you. Uh, gather as you've gone through this uh, 40 days in the Word. It's been quite a challenge and it's been an interesting challenge and uh, I trust we uh, do justice to Rick Warren's uh, uh, yeah, uh, his intent as we uh, remind ourselves of the need to love the Word, uh, to learn the Word and to, uh, to live the Word. We have been reminding ourselves it's important that we understand certain rules of interpretation and last week we started that journey and today we're going to finish it. But before we do that, uh, the keys to Bible study, the first one was observation. What is the question? Oh, you can do better than that. What is the question? What does it say? The next is interpretation. What is interpretation? The question? What does it mean? Right. Correlation. What is the question? What other verses explain? And application. And that's the point that we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to finish on exactly that point of what are we going to do about uh, the issues that are raised in John chapter 15. And so I trust that you'll uh, be encouraged by the word that we share this morning. These uh, rules of interpretation that Rick Warren deals with in his 40 days are things for us to apply in our daily quiet times and in our Bible studies and in our, our preaching. Uh, unless we apply these certain rules of interpretation, uh, we can make the Bible say almost anything that we want it to say. If we're willing uh, to ignore the rules of, of interpretation, uh, it will make it virtually uh, take verses out of context and misinterpret them uh, right throughout the scripture. The one that we were looking at last week in particular was verse uh, 6 of our reading, of our text, uh, that, in that uh, Rick Warren suggested has been interpreted uh, uh, rather poorly over the years. And verse 6 uh, says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is uh, thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. And he was suggesting that some... Uh, radio Bible class, some television presenters uh, sort of suggest that unless we're bearing fruit by winning other people to Christ uh, that we're going to be tossed on the rubbish heap and go to hell and lose our salvation and we suggested last week that this is not what uh, Jesus intended when he shared this particular passage of scripture and we've unpacked certain things so far to say that in the context uh, that was certainly not what he was saying. The Bible teaches us that not only does God expect you and I to be faithful in life, he expects us to be fruitful. Fruitfulness or bearing fruit is one of the major themes of the New Testament. God says, I have made an investment in your life. I made you, I created you, I saved you, I put my Holy Spirit in you and I want you to return my investment. I expect you to live a fruitful life. I've planted the seed of God's word in you and I want you to bear fruit. So God not only wants us to be faithful, he wants us to be faithful and fruitful. And last week we noted several 
uh, principles and the first principle that we noted last week was the fact that we consider the historical context, who is being spoken to and why and we look back to chapter 13 and we saw Jesus washing his disciples' feet emphasising the importance that we as God's people are to love each other. We noted in chapter 14 that he said that he was going away and as he was going away he said to his followers don't worry because you can talk to me in prayer. I'm not going to be physically with you anymore he was saying but you can ask anything in my name and I will do it. Don't worry, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you and don't worry because you can always talk to me in prayer. He continued, don't worry because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you to be with you. He will be your strength. He will be your comforter and he will be your guide. He will be your counsellor. So you don't need to worry. No, I'm not going to be here but the Holy Spirit is going to be here with you. Then finally he said in verses 27 to 30 of chapter 14, don't worry because I'm going to give you the gift of peace. He said it's peace, not as the world gives. In the world you're going to have tribulation. You can count on that. You're going to have problems, but I'm going to give you a peace and that peace overcomes the world. And then in chapter 15 we saw that walking through the vineyard vine and branches were observed and then at the end of that object lesson where he said I am the vine and you are the branches at the end of that object lesson he says in verse 11 I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So in this context of, uh, that we find these words in verse 6, we find in chapter 13 we find love. In chapter 14 we find peace. In chapter 15 we find joy. He is talking about the importance of the followers of Jesus experiencing love toward one another, the peace that he gives and the joy of being God's people, the joy of experiencing our salvation in the day-to-day routine of life. The second principle of interpretation that we noted last week was that you must define the key verses. So what is it? If God says, I am to bear fruit, what does it mean in John chapter 15? Jesus is saying this is so important because it's one of the last things he's talking about to his disciples. And so therefore we need to understand what fruit means. What does it mean? And I left you hanging a little bit last week when we didn't actually define that. What is Jesus talking about when he says we must bear fruit in this context? So that brings us to the third principle of interpretation. Interpret unclear verses with clear ones. In this passage as we read John 15 we find three clear characteristics of fruit. What it means to grow spiritual fruit. We find them in verse 4 and if you've got your Bibles it's it's helpful as you follow the text as we go through in verse 4, in verse 8 and verse 11. And these three characteristics of fruit. The first one 
is that we are to remain in me and I will remain in you. Verse 4. Remember he said remain means to stay. It means to continue, to abide, to connect, to last. It just means to be connected. A branch that's disconnected from the tree is not going to bear any fruit. It's got to stay connected or it won't bear any fruit. That's all he's saying. Be connected to me and I'll be connected to you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So the first thing we would write down as we do our Bible study is that bearing fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. Now that's no exaggeration to the text. It's not reading into the text. That's a a very clear verse. He says it three times. You stay in me and you're going to bear fruit. If you don't stay in me, you're not going to bear fruit. If you don't stay in me, in fact you can't do anything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the first thing we learn is that bearing fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. But you might say, what does remaining in Christ mean? Fruit is an inside job. You can't just tack it onto your life and pretend that you're bearing fruit. That would be like taking a barren tree, a dead wood tree with no leaves on it and tying apples to it and saying, I've got an apple tree. No, a lot of Christians try to do that. You know, they try to tie on good works to their life and say, I'm bearing fruit by their own effort and works. No, we're not just tying it on. It's got to come from within. He says the Holy Spirit flowing in you is going to bear fruit. Fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. The second thing we note is that this is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples in verse 8. So the second thing that we jot down in our notebook as we study this passage is that bearing fruit brings glory to God. Now how do I do that? Because that's what the verse says. It's very clear. I'm not in misinterpreting it. It says that when I bear fruit... It brings glory to God. So we can write that down. Then it says, bearing fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. It brings glory to God. Then thirdly, we note that... Uh, oh, did I say that? brings glory. And thirdly, I have told you this so that your joy may be complete. I might have missed one there, so I'll go to that one. So that joy will be made complete. Verse 11. Jesus tells us His motive by talking about bearing fruit is joy. So again, we note this, bearing fruit will give me complete joy. He says that so that your joy and my joy will be complete. Bearing fruit, whatever it is, is produced by remaining in Christ, it brings glory to God and it's going to give me great and complete joy joy. Now I hope I've got your attention or you've become uh, interested. We we need to know what fruit is because 
We want to live a joyful life. So we learn three things about it. But we're still stuck with the question, what is fruit? If I'm supposed to bear it, I'd better figure out what it is. So how do I do that? And we go to the fourth principle. The fourth principle is the fact that we look for the most obvious meaning. This is the exact opposite of what a lot of people do. They want to find something, some deep meaning in the passage that they read, some hidden meaning, some secret meaning in the Bible. I don't want to discourage you this morning, but if you're looking for some secret, hidden, mysterious meaning, you're going to miss it because the Bible isn't full of secrets. The purpose of the Bible is not to conceal. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal who God is. So there's nothing hidden in the Bible. It's, it's just there. And you and I must discover and find it. So, it's, so all this stuff about Bible codes and stuff like that and secret meanings is not really true. There are no secrets in the Bible. There's no secret code. There's no secret formula. There's no hidden message. God doesn't play games with us. He gave the Bible to reveal himself, not to conceal himself. In fact, if you've ever read a verse of the Bible and you come up with an interpretation that nobody else has ever seen, one thing is simple, you're wrong. Because God, for 2,000 years, has been speaking through his body, the church, and if it is new, it's not true. It's just not correct, because if it's truth, it's been around forever and ever. If you don't do this, you get into all kinds of trouble. People in prophecy will often do this. They'll say this means this and this means that. And, you know, we have a guy at, uh, in the city who puts little messages under the church door uh, at least once a week, sometimes more often. And they're quite large, they're handwritten, and their interpretation of the prophetic passages, and they're all about 666 and all sorts of things, and, and he's trying to put the fear of Hades into everybody and he's very dogmatic about it and and he's got it all worked out exactly when and what's going to happen in the future. Now some of you may be old enough to remember uh, this particular illustration that was about 30 odd years ago. Uh, There were a number of books that came out and said that if you assign a certain number to each number of the English alphabet, forget the fact that the Bible isn't written in English, but you assign a number to each English letter, then the name Henry Kissinger spells Antichrist. And so they worked it out. Now, you and I know that's nonsense. That's reading into the scripture. That's eisegesis instead of exegesis. We're reading into the text rather than reading out of it. There's another thing, don't try to make every detail mean something. When there's a story in the Bible, every detail doesn't have to have a spiritual meaning. It's just part of the story. Uh, Noel and I used to go to OCF camps and and we did a skit on one occasion and I uh, had a glass of water and, and I made out as though I was in the desert and I staggered through the chairs and gasping for air and for water and I finally got to the water and I pulled my comb out and did my hair because it was messed up you know 
next morning at breakfast all the students are wondering what the spiritual meaning to that was you know and I felt a little ashamed that I had misled them but you know sometimes we we expect too much we try to read into the text more than really what is there a lot of Jesus stories are called parables and a parable is a story with one point to it not five, not ten, not twenty it's got one point to it so if somebody says this guy was wearing a red scarf that red means only that it's a red scarf nothing more it's just the part of the story the guy that's riding a three wheeled bike isn't because he's talking about the Trinity. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, know, you know, we're reading into the stuff. It's it's nothing to do with that. That's eisegesis, reading into the text. So don't try to find every little detail. That's what people do when they start saying the branch means this and the fire means this. And first of all, the word fire that we were talking about, how it's interpreted sometimes that you're going to lose your salvation unless you're bringing people to Christ every second day. The fire is not even the word, the Greek word for hell. It's a word pure, for which means fire. It's not talking about hell at all. So let it speak to itself what is obvious about verse 6 let me read it again the problem verse if anyone does not remain in me he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned remember Jesus is walking through the vineyard there, and here's the point a fruitless fruit tree has lost its purpose does that make sense? The purpose of a fruit tree is to bear fruit and if it doesn't bear fruit, it's not fulfilling its purpose. So he says, what good is a fruitless fruit tree? Nothing, unless you use it for firewood. That's what he's talking about. And by the way, how did they cook their food in those days? With firewood. They didn't have coal, they didn't have oil, they didn't have gas, they didn't have electricity or microwaves. Everything was cooked with firewood. So if you had any wood laying around that's been broken off, cut off from a tree, you're not going to let it lay there. That's that's energy for dinner, if you like. He's simply saying this, a fruitless fruit tree can't fulfil its purpose. What value is it? Nothing really, unless you just use it for firewood and you burn it and get some value out of it. That's all he's saying. It's not talking about going to hell. He certainly wouldn't be talking about going to hell saying I said these things to make you happy. It just doesn't fit. It's when you take it out of context and as we said last week, a text out of context is a pretext. In other words, it's an excuse to just make up anything that you or I want. So what do you do? So what you do is you let the text speak for itself. And when you let the text speak for itself, the meaning becomes obvious. But you've got to listen. And you've got to listen to the Holy Spirit, allow the Spirit of God within to interpret the truth. And we don't often get it straight away. We have to read and reread so that we understand what God is revealing about himself. He's not trying to conceal it. It's just giving us time to get our minds around the truth of what he's trying to say. 
when we let the text speak for itself, it's very clear what the meaning of fruit is. We don't have to use any Bible dictionary or Bible encyclopedia or any other good tools. They're all good, but you don't have to use them to figure out what fruit is. So let's go back to the text. Let's look at three things. If you remain in me, verse 7, and my words remain in you, you may ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Now he's talking about prayer. So we need to write that down. Remaining in Christ produces answered prayer. Now that's no stretch of that verse. That's just what the verse says. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. So remaining in Christ, being connected to Christ, produces answered prayer. Have we ever thought about the fact that prayer can do anything that God can do? So why are you asking these little tiny prayers? Why not ask him for big prayers? Prayer can do anything that God can do. Don't expect a thousand dollar answer to a ten cent prayer, if you understand what I mean. It says, whatever you wish, it will be given to you. You say, wait a minute, I've asked for a lot of things and I didn't get them. Now, we can all relate to that, whether it's timing or whether it's the actual things. Whatever you wish. Let, let me just say this. If God doesn't give you what you ask for, it will always be something better. God will never give you something worse than you ask for. At the time, maybe you don't think it's better. Is that your experience like mine? But God knows. The first point here is remaining in Christ produces answered prayer secondly in verse 13 of chapter 14 says remember it's the same conversation the same guys the same 11 guys and he says I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the son may bring glory to the father you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it that's the second thing that we learn here answered prayer brings glory to God he says when you ask for something in my name and then I give it to you it brings glory to the Father and that's good so when I pray and ask for things and when God gives it to me it brings glory to God because it shows how loving God is what do you need to be asking God for in your life this morning some of you are going through really difficult times right now let me tell you this when your knees are shaking kneel you can't fall when you're on your knees when you feel the sky is falling in on you hold out your hands in prayer Jesus said ask anything in my name and it will bring glory to God it will cause you to remain connected to me. And then in verse 24 of chapter 16, the same conversation, 
the same group of guys. He's repeating it again. This is the context of the whole of the chapter. Jesus says, guys, until you know, until now, you have not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Have you ever heard the phrase before, your joy will be complete? Yeah, when he talks about bearing fruit. So I'll write that down, a third thing. Answered prayer gives me complete joy. You see how this is being repeated. Did you know that over 20 times in the New Testament we are commanded to ask, ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. James says, you have not because you ask not. One day you're going to get to heaven and you're going to see all these things that you could have had but you never asked for them. One day you're going to get to heaven and you're going to see all these blessings that you could have experienced but you never asked for them. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Now that's not because you want to accumulate stuff or things for yourself personally. It's because you you want to be the instrument by which you allow the light to shine to show others the way, to bring them to Jesus. It's not for personal gratification or satisfaction. The things that you ask for are for God's glory. The things that you ask for so that you've got tools to be able to do the work that God's put into your hands. Jesus in his final words to his disciples says, Guys, I want you to ask. I'm not going to be here with you anymore but you can talk to me any time. You can ask and I want to give and when I do it's going to produce answered prayers. Remaining in Christ is going to bring glory to God and answered prayer will bring joy to you. So there's no need to be long-faced and sour when we come to church. There's a sense of excitement about the fact that we're seeing God answered prayers as we support our missionary family as we go out into the community and respond to needs. There's a sense of anticipation and expectation because God is answering our prayers and each one of us has experiences throughout the week in connecting with other people and seeing God touch and change lives. In in one sense, when we don't pray, we don't cheat God, we are cheating ourselves. We're the ones that are missing out. It's like having a bank account that we never cash. When we don't pray, we cheat ourselves of all the fruit that God wants to produce in our lives. The purpose for which he has called us to himself. The purpose for which he has gathered us together to bloom in this particular community. Are you seeing a little connection here. Bearing fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. Bearing fruit brings glory to God. Bearing fruit gives me complete joy and answered prayers come from remaining in Christ. Answered prayer brings glory to God and answered prayer gives me complete joy. You see the connection as we unpack this. And then in verse 16, Jesus mentions it one more time. He says, He ends his talk with this last mention. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So here it is. Looking at the word, 
looking at the context and letting the text speak for itself, you write down, I bear fruit by asking in prayer. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about losing your salvation because you didn't win somebody to Christ. He's talking about fruit that comes through prayer. Prayer is the root of all fruit. All the other virtues of life come through prayer. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, come through prayer. Gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, self-control come through prayer. Prayer is the password to everything that God wants to do in your life and in mine. You know what the problem is? We treat prayer like a spare tyre. The spare tyre is there when we have a flat. When you have a flat and your life goes flat and you're in trouble, you pull out prayer. In fact, we say all we can do now is pray. You know, how often have we been guilty of saying that? We can't do anything else but pray. You know, ta-da, <laughs> you know the alarm bells ring. You know, it's our last resort. But here Jesus is encouraging us to see the benefits of of prayer it should be our first choice God does not want prayer to be your spare time he wants it to be your steering wheel for your life it is where you get all the fruit in your life much prayer much fruit little prayer little fruit no prayer no fruit if you're not praying you have no fruit in your life You're just hanging apples on a barren tree. Sorry, that's a bit confronting. It all comes through prayer. That's what Jesus is saying. The more I pray, the more fruit I'm going to have. See, what our problem is, we have trouble with prayer when we're not in trouble. When things are going good, I don't need to pray. We get tied up in the ebb and flow of life and prayer is pushed to the outer. Do you know that prayerlessness is really practical atheism? Prayerlessness is acting like you don't have a heavenly father who loves you. Prayerlessness is acting like you're an orphan that God hasn't promised over and over again to take care of every one of your needs. It's acting like if it's to be, it's up to me. And that's nonsense. He's saying there the way you bear fruit is by praying and the more you pray, the more fruit you're going to have in your life. Everything God does, he does because you ask him to do it in your life. Not always when you want it, but he will do it. And if he doesn't do it, he'll do something even better. The Bible study isn't a Bible study until you get to the point and say, what am I going to do about it? What is my part? And that's where the application comes. That's the personal application. Notice that Jesus says in verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine, in Matthew chapter 7 verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So if I put into practice what I've learned about prayer today, then I built my house on a rock. And when the storms come, 
It's going to stand. If I don't put it into practice, what I've heard today, I just come to a Bible study, I take notes and I go home and forget it, I'm foolish. The Bible says the foolish man builds his house on sand and he hears it but he doesn't do anything about it. You know what the problem is today? People all over Australia are listening to sermons this morning and don't have any intention of doing anything about it. That is foolish. I hear people all the time saying, this is deep preaching or that is deep preaching or that is deep teaching or I want deep teaching. They go from church to church wanting deep teaching. They don't think deep teaching means, or they think that deep teaching means explaining the biblical history of the Jebusites. No, the deepest preaching is the preaching that changes your character, that changes your behaviour, that changes your attitude. You can fill your mind with every Bible fact and every Bible background and every Bible knowledge and know all the doctrine of the Bible and if you're still cranky and you gossip and you treat your kids and your wife bad and you swear and you watch porn on TV and you're impatient, you, you haven't gotten deep teaching. Deep has nothing to do with Bible background, it has to do with Bible application what you've done with what you've learned. And it's only what changes our behaviour that demonstrates that we've truly got it. And if we don't act it out, we haven't got it. It's all up here. That's why at Monty we need to be known as a Bible application church. Every sermon should be about what are you going to do about it. The Bible says that's foolish if you just go to church and you learn the Greek word for this or the Latin word for that or biblical background on who the Amorites are and you go home thinking that was deep. It wasn't deep. Not if it didn't change your life. Not if you don't treat your wife better. Not if you're not more ethical at work. Not if you don't live a life of integrity. Not if you don't start winning victory over the lust in your life. No, it's not deep at all to accumulate that knowledge. The deepest part is the part that changes you. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise man. But everybody who hears these words of mine and doesn't do anything about it, they're foolish. So that's why the last thing we need to do here today as we close off these two weeks on on John chapter 15, the very last thing we need to do is not talk about prayer, we need to pray. That's why the last thing I want you to do is to think about, to write down something if you've got a pen, an application, a one sentence of what I'm going to pray about this week so that I might bear fruit. Write it down and make sure you pray about it. Where do you need to bear fruit? Maybe you need to bear fruit in your finances. Maybe you need to bear a little fruit in your marriage or maybe you need to bear a little fruit in your health or in your friendship or in your job or in your education. I don't know. Jesus tells us, ask. And the Bible tells us, you have not because you ask not. Be specific. Verse 24 of chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel is is the memory verse. Now I'm not quite sure where you're up to 
in the 40 days in the word whether you're following it systematically or not but this passage your memory verse was Matthew 7:24 because we need to memorize that verse everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock now Rick Warren I think if you've been following the study says when you memorize something you say the passage first Matthew 7:24 you read the text and then you close with Matthew does that sound familiar? Is that what you're supposed to do? All right, well, let's do it. Okay, so let's do it together. We'll read Matthew 7:24. We'll say the verse, and then we'll close with the verse as well. And, and he says, well, it, you know, to memorise something, you've got to say it out loud. So when you're walking around the streets for exercise, you know, quote those verses, and you hide the word in your heart so that you might not sin against God. So let's say it together. Matthew 7:24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Matthew 7:24. The more you say it out aloud, the more you're going to memorise it. So I trust that God will speak to you from that. When you read the verse over and over, it will come to be a reality. So please work on this verse during the week if you hadn't already uh, memorised it and uh, it will be the power to change in your life. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you created us to bear fruit. Thank you that you do not want our lives to be barren. You do not want our relationships to be barren. You do not want our emotions to be barren. You want our lives to bear much fruit. And thank you that you created the whole idea of prayer so that we could talk to you and we're overwhelmed this morning with that privilege the fact that you the creator of the world would want to listen much less answer our prayers is astounding thank you that you want me to be filled with joy that's amazing and thank you that you said these wonderful words forgive us father for our prayerlessness forgive us for not praying more. Forgive us for for treating prayer like the spare tyre that we use when we get into trouble instead of using it as a steering wheel of our lives. Thank you for this tremendous resource that you have given to us in prayer. I pray, Father, that we will be a church full of fruit bearers, men and women who are bearing fruit in their career, bearing fruit in their lives, in their families and in every area through answered prayer. Lord, help us to pray more that we may see more fruit in our lives. And I pray this morning, if there are people here that have never invited Jesus into their life, that they will say right now, Jesus Christ, come into my life right now and save me and change me. I want to be a fruitful person. I want my life not to be barren. I want it to produce results. I want my life to count Teach me to pray, to trust you and to love you. Thank you for loving me and dying on the cross for me. We pray all this in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.